Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here. Glad to have you with me as I help guide you and you guide me through the uplands. Whether you got a retriever, or a flushing spaniel, or a pointing breed of any sort, or maybe something like mine, the German wire haired flusher. No, no, no. We'll talk a little bit about our progress, but first, Let me tell you that Brian Belinsky will be joining us. You recognize that, of course you do. How could you forget that name? Brian is a shooting instructor, gun fitter, dealer of fine guns, avid hunter, and all around good guy. He is the proprietor of fieldsportlimited.com in Traverse City, Michigan, one of my favorite upper Midwest states. I'll be asking him all the questions you might wanna ask him about those hard shots in the field and maybe even on the clay's course. So stick around for a tutorial on shooting with an expert. I'll also tip you to one of my favorite Wyoming chucker and Hungarian partridge spots, and then we'll get some advice and opinions from you as well on the proverbial topic. Still worth carrying a paper map? Yeah, (laughs) you'll be interested in some of these thoughts. They're all made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, Trulock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Purina Pro Plan Sport, and High Viz Shooting Systems. See what you've been missing. I know I have. <laughs> well, <clears throat> maybe this has happened to you. You're at 5,000 feet climbing towards 6,000 feet when uh, the handheld tells you your dog is on point. You can barely see him skylined against the gray on the top of that ridge, way up. <clears throat> so you're, you know, putting a pedal to the metal, so to speak, trying to get up that hill. And you know how it is on some of those hills, two steps up, slide back one. So it takes a while, and he is, well, at least Flick is quivering. His nostrils are flaring, and there they go. Not even close enough for a bad shot. Well, that's what I've been working on lately. Not the the steadiness. No, Flick is doing great on that, and I bored you with those details. But on sometimes reining him in and walking him at heel in that big country where we think we know where the birds might be. Yeah, thanks again, Jeff Funky, a recent guest on the podcast, for reminding me that, uh, yeah, it's okay to put your pointing dog on a lead, or if you can, not bother with the lead, and just heel him along until you get to the birdie spot, ensuring that you have enough time to get caught up and actually take a shot, especially after you're climbing that far. Uh, But it works no matter what birds you're after, and I've had it happen on flat ground as well as on hilly ground. So so we're working on something that you might think is pretty simple, but it's not. And here's why, in my case at least, when when I bring Flick in and get him to walk alongside me, and I use that word walk because I don't want to say heel, because heel means something that sounds a lot like here, I'll go down that that rabbit hole uh, some other time. But uh, so I tell him to walk. And usually when I do that early in his training when he was younger, it meant walk with me a couple steps till I get you pointed in another direction, and then I'll release you, go hunting again. So that's what he's used to. I got to change that. So, um, So now when I get him to walk at heel, I'm adding 10 more steps every time we do it so he's not learning or he's unlearning the idea that a couple steps that's the direction I get it now I'm going to cut out of there I know it's silly but it may save me a bird or two once in a while you I asked this question because I am just you know in another life I would have been a map maker a cartographer because I love paper maps and I love what they do for us deep down psychologically and also from a practical standpoint so I asked you on the social media anybody still carry a paper map and and why or why not and I was uh well let me just say pleasantly surprised at the answers Andy McCormick 
my good friend at Legacy Sports, Pointer Shotguns. He takes both. Yeah, belt and suspenders for Andy. He's got an online mapping app and a paper map. Yeah, and it, and, it, <laughs> and it sometimes serves him well. Spread out a paper map for the big picture, especially in camp at the end of the day. Reflecting on the day's events and tomorrow's prep. Yeah, boy, Andy, I'll tell you a story about Snake Den Butte sometime. <laughs> That's how we found out what it was called after I stepped on one. <laughs> yeah. Lance Larson, heck yeah. <clears throat> yeah it's a family podcast. Uh, heck yeah. My eyes can't see the, the little electronic screens very well. And I don't have to deal with the sun's glare on a paper map. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've got one up right now in the office here uh, because I just love browsing it. It may, may be a place I've been a million times. It may be a place I'll never go, or most likely it's a place I'm going this season. And, you know, over the course of, uh, you know, 20 cups of coffee and a few weeks of that on the wall, you learn stuff that will only come in handy when, you, when it just pops into your mind in the middle of a hunt. Uh, Scott LaPlante reminds me that a paper map is a lot more helpful if um, if you bring a compass. And Don Don's LU pointers. Don, thank you. It's good to hear from you again. Yes, if you can find an up-to-date one. Someday I'll tell you that story as well. When the USGS lands their helicopter at your camp and brings out the map and asks you where they are, uh-huh, they made the map. Anyway, Brandon Murphy, always got to have a backup, absolutely. Uh, Jay Knetner always has his atlases in the truck. Better view than trying to pan out on a GPS. Yeah, absolutely. Ken Morgan, batteries go dead. Maps don't have coverage issues. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Chris Ingram, yeah, this is brilliant. Not letting, absolutely, I'm not letting my geology degree go to the wayside just because I became a digital editor. And by the way, Chris, you owe me a phone call. I'm waiting for a new assignment from you. Chris is the digital uh, editor for Gundog Magazine. So uh, you've seen some of my work there. and Thanks in large part to Chris. Um, <laughs> anyway, some great uh, answers, both uh, from a battery power to a, what I'll just call a nostalgic standpoint. Uh, <clears throat> yes. Oh, here's the last one. John Bowden-Distal. Yeah, I think I got on the third try. Uh, especially for antelope season, his paper maps have owners' names and numbers. Okay. Hey, what a concept. Oh, somebody's doing that mobile too. But anyway... Uh, it helps him a lot, and I, I get it completely, absolutely. Well, our tutorial on uh, maps and compasses is now concluded. Think about it for the future. we got a tutorial on shooting coming up. In the meantime, we're brought to you by Purina Pro Plan Sport. They have concentrated the nutrition to optimize oxygen metabolism. Yeah, if you follow sports or um, or sports science, you know what VO2 max is. Well, it's a good thing for your dog as well. It leads to increased endurance during exercise, and who doesn't need that? Number one, it's got a high-protein formula. 30-20 is what I'm feeding these days. Real meat is the first ingredient. And then the amino acids, thanks to that real meat, will nourish the muscles including the crucial time after exercise to promote recovery yeah so the next day and the next day that's what it's all about learn more about their nutrition and take a look at all the formulations at proplansport.com yeah and uh yeah i'm a gadget freak that's why i love midwayusa.com not only do they have lots of stuff for bird hunting and bird dog training they got all that other stuff uh just got a box from them that uh you know, if you camp you spend any time outdoors or like me you just love to have stuff around consider that midwayusa.com 
Just got a Coleman propane coffee maker. I can't wait to show it off. That might be the only value to it, but it is so cool. They're an internet retailer of just about anything and everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, and they take customer satisfaction very seriously. Browse the entire website. Take a look at the ammo selection. I take a look at it way too frequently. It's all available for you at MidwayUSA.com. Well, it's good to have him back since we talked with him last. A lot of water over the dam. So, uh, Brian Belinsky of Field Sport Limited, welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. Well, thank you, and it's a pleasure to be back. You know, I learn so much from you all the time, and that's one reason I wanted you to be back on the podcast with us. Other people, too, are really eager to become slightly better shooters, and I I mean that for myself. They'll probably become way better shooters. But before we start all of that, you know, let me just, uh, you know, give the short version of your resume. You're a shooting instructor, a clinician, you're a gun fitter, you're a hunter, you have authored a new book, and we're going to talk about that first. Why don't you start with the motivation and, uh, and more on that book? Well, the motivation is to thank everyone that's helped me get to the point where I could finish a book on wing shooting and fine shotguns and everything I've learned over the last 40 years. This is a, this is the culmination of this book. Uh, it's it's a collection of everything I've written in magazines such as Upland Almanac, which is one point known as Grouse, Grouse Point, and then also uh rough grouse society magazine shooting sportsman and some other new new material that i put in there you you keep learning from people and there's a lot of time we recycle when we work with a student in the school where the same problems kind of come up so that's the that's the resonance of this book it talks about everything that i've learned at from people and I hope it'll consequently allow a lot of folks that'll be, when they read it, say, that's me. That's the guy, and I understand what he's saying about that other person that he dealt with in a shooting school or a gun fitting, you know, from all perspectives. I love it. Now, just uh, give us the title and where we can find it. It's called Wing Shooting, the Art and the Science. And uh, how do we get a copy? Well, I've got a new website coming out uh, within the next few weeks uh, that'll be named Field Sport Press. And that, and when you go to Field Sport Press, you could buy it online. And then uh, as of right now, for the next couple of weeks, all you have to do is call Field Sport in Traverse City, Michigan at 231-933-0767. And during regular business hours, uh, Deb or someone will take your order, your credit card, and we can ship you the book. And then we're, there's, a, there's also a combination. I ran an ad in Shooting Sportsman magazine. I also have a video coming out, and that's the next connection to uh, this, this combo pro- product. Well, fantastic. I'll look forward to seeing both over the next few weeks and uh, uh, should be interesting. What was, the, what was the biggest revelation you had writing that book? That I'm not a writer? <laughs> I, you know, I've, that's not my background. Uh, you're right. I'm writing about what I love. Yeah. And, and that's easy. You know, that's where it just always flowed when I had to come up with a subject matter for uh, the magazines. It always connected to some something I just experienced. You know, like I'm working on a mental plan of my next article in Upland Almanac, and it's going to be entitled Beware the Man or Woman Who Shoots One Gun. But then, the, but then the second line of that is, I'm not that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, I you know, when I write a book, it's to get a whole bunch of things off my chest. And, and then I can just walk away from all that. But you're right. What ends up happening then is you keep coming. All that stuff just circles back over and over again, doesn't it? When you're, like you said, when you're instructing. It sure, it sure does. I, I kind of expect to hear similar questions 
I send out questionnaires and they get, you know, I, I see similar answers to the questionnaires before a school or a lesson or a fitting. And they, you know, just like what you said, a lot of your, your listeners are interested in becoming better, more competent wing shots. Well, the number one comment I hear on these at the end of our questionnaires is I want to be more consistent. Oh yeah. And, and that's the word, that's the magic word. So consistent boils down to the knowledge of how to achieve proper muscle memory so that you, when a bird gets up in front of you, no matter whether you're startled or not, you go autopilot. Yeah. Well, let's start with that then, because it is absolutely one of the things that most of us never get enough opportunity to develop. And, and, and I'll just give you the analogy that I've used over and over again. If you were a golfer, you wouldn't walk onto the course at the Masters and tee off on the first hole expecting to win anything. You'd probably be chased off. Mm -hmm. Before you got to that point, you've played a thousand tournaments, you've hit a million balls at the driving range, you've made a thousand, thousand, thousand putts, all to get that. Mm -hmm. Our problem is we got to find a range, we got to buy targets, we got to do this and do that. It becomes complicated. What can we do outside of the range to develop that consistency? Well, within reach of me right now, I've got a very unloaded shotgun in my living room. Yeah. And, and I, any break, kind of just mental break of anything else I'm doing, I pick up that gun, I double check to make sure it's empty. And then I go through my repertoire that I teach in the schools, which is I implement my correct stance, my correct posture, bring my gun to the ready position. I begin moving the gun along a, a line between my ceiling and the wall. I mount my gun firm to my face. If I have snap caps in the gun, I pull the trigger, click, and then I stay in the gun. 1,001, 1,002, dismount. You know, there's a book out there called 10,000 Hours, <laughs> right? You've, you've probably heard of it, read it maybe. No, but uh, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. One of my students actually sent it to me, and it's very apropos. Well, you know, I, I just with a smile on my face, say, how many of us have, can, can actually, do, actually have the time to invest 10,000 hours in shooting? Well, there are a few. You know, there are a few. But for us who have to make a living – we find, you know, little snippets of time where we can do maybe an hour of shooting at a time here and an hour of shooting time at there. This is where quality is more important than quantity. Oh, no, no doubt about it. And I, I remember learning that back as a musician in the day at the conservatory. You know, perfect practice makes perfect. Correct. So uh, that means a little bit shorter time. I am holding uh, my very unloaded shotgun right now. You can hear it. I just closed it. I'm doing uh, okay. So just for for the record, I'm 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 set up. I got a good ready position. There goes the bird swinging across the seam between ceiling and floor. Bang! Stay in the gun. Yeah, that's the that's the magic ending called follow through. Well, that anchor point under the zygomatic arch is so critical. I mean, number one, you. You have to have a well-fitted gun to make sense of that. But that anchor point, and there's two sides to the practice at home. You can have your eyes open and you can check your stance, make sure you feel like your posture goes forward, kind of look down to make sure you have a good ready position, check your hand position, left hand comfortably extended out on the forearm of your gun, the right hand uh, wrapped around, safety off, thumb over, close the circuit between the second finger and the tip of the thumb, and, and then, but as you begin bringing the gun to the face, the gun mount is everything. For the gun to shoot where you look, you have to anchor under the cheekbone zygomatic arch. One of the things you can add to this, this puzzle is practice your gun mount with your eyes closed. <sighs> it's priceless. I'm not I'm kidding. Because, you know, somebody was asking me, well, why, Brian? I said, because with your eyes closed, you can't make a bad gun mount huh. with your eyes open. You know, you're dealing with data. Here comes data. You know what you may be thinking about the bird. You may be, you're, you may be, 
you know, lost your concentration. But with your eyes closed, you can go into that quiet state of mind, which allows you to finish your gun mount. Now, how do you get your 10,000 hours? Well, you know, over the course of a season, you can get there just by practicing at home, comfort of your living room, all the ingredients to make you a good wing shot. You just can't pull the trigger on a live round, which we eventually got to do. We have to do that. Yeah. Uh, I, but but I, got it, out and, <laughs> I got out and shot yesterday at Cedar Rod and Gun Club in the morning, and uh, the trapper out there says, he says, where you been? I said, you know, I, I'm doing what I'm always doing. I'm trying to keep field sport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep the boat going in the, direct, the correct direction. You deal with surgeries. You're getting healthier. And it was a joy. I mean, my first round, I was a little rusty, uh, but I knew what I had to do. And the second round, I started dust balling targets. So, you know, even 50 rounds later, it started to feel good. The muscle memory is there. It can get a little rusty, and you have to, you know, you have to polish it off by shooting targets that you should be able to hit over and over and over and over again. Well, you you just said something that I'm a big believer in, and that is that if at a sporting place, I love the game. Used to make a TV show about it, um, and it's a wonderful game. And, but so is skeet, and so is trap, and so is five stand, and so is helice. Um, but when I'm shooting sporting clays with friends, I know better than to shoot those wacky targets that I'll never find in the field. And uh, I'm glad to hear you basically sounds like allude to the same thing very yeah and i have to caution students that come to a field sport wing shooting school yeah it's going to be gun down folks this isn't gun up and i don't have a problem with gun up but i do bite my tongue when i when i have to explain the difference so gun up you can you don't need a perfectly fitted gun and you'll probably see 90 percent maybe of yeah. shooters yeah. on trap and skeet and you know like just helis five stand they'll shoot gun up that's okay here's the x factor what's your goal this is a wing shooting program if your goal is to become a better wing shooter you better practice gun down somehow starting point a dog gives you a quick memo he's getting birdie into the ready position you go in my book i've got a picture of my pointing lab daisy on point time to get in the ready position and then the move mount shoot process begins you know this is where this is very athletic moving mounting and shooting is an athletic movement you have to practice it over and over and over and over again for it to become autopilot and as you said go from practice to a permanent level that you always will achieve when you're under stress of the flush of a bird yeah, it's got to be, uh, well, you use the term muscle memory. It's got to be um, subconscious, doesn't it? Yep, 100%. But we ne- we don't get there without thinking. And, yeah. You know, and that's what every human being has to do. We have to learn when we start the schools. We give people study guides uh, that they can, they can take home with them because, you know, there's so many different ways people are going to absorb the data. As I, if I finish a private lesson, I said, okay, I probably bombarded you, maybe informationally overloaded you with a lot of thoughts and concepts, elements. My guess is you go home and read that study guide again after hearing it explained and you doing it, it'll make a hell of a lot more sense to you. Oh, isn't that the truth? As long as there's no pop quiz. <laughs> you, know, you know, I took a lesson, <clears throat> this is a long time ago, from a, a guy who had coached an Olympic gold medalist. And, um, and uh, it was a wonderful lesson, uh, very expensive. We shot a, th- literally shot a thousand targets that day, which well, I would never do again. I mean, that's crazy because after yeah. about 200, you're, you're just phoning it in. But, but he had a questionnaire at the beginning and he, he asks everybody, why do you want to learn to shoot better? And I just wrote, because I want to make the dogs happy. And uh, and maybe you and Daisy have that same relationship. Tell me about a great hunt you've been on recently, and let's get the juices flowing here. Yeah. Well, everyone's a great – every hunt's a great hunt for me. You know, when you, yeah. you start you – know, when you start – you've crested 65, and you start reflecting back, any day is a great day of field. I, I 
it, it doesn't mean we have to kill a lot of birds. It's nice to see birds. It's nice to move birds, you know, but I can also can it by going to a, a shooting preserve, knowing there are birds out there so I can see Daisy's response, how she works a bird. And then my job, there it is, is to kill that bird cleanly to reward her for, you know, what God put her on this earth to do. Yeah. Tell me about your pointing lab, because, you know, there are some people who have never seen a pointing lab work. I have, and we actually got one point on camera once in South Dakota. Uh, but but uh, what, what is it about that that breed and that style that, that you like, obviously, enough to have a dog? Well, I, I, I'm going to get you a copy of my book, and you'll see I lead out with a picture of me hugging my first Labrador retriever named Rum Village, Indiana Buck, uh, when I was, oof, 16. Wow. <laughs> Daisy's, number, Daisy's number nine. And so I've had Labradors. Uh, I've always had labs. I'm still a lab man. It was the breed born and raised in South Bend, Indiana. My first hunts were on for obviously pheasants out on the farms and ducks. Well, and we jump shot ducks off of creeks you sure. know, down yeah. to the farm. Well, what the heck does a duck always do when you shoot it on off of a creek? Falls <laughs> on the other side, you know? And you never have waders on. You're not going to be able to get through these creeks. So that really stimulated my first need, and that's where a lab became the perfect dog for me. It, it would go through a creek and up the other side and retrieve a duck and bring it back. And, and uh, my first, uh, I have this story relating in my book that my first pheasant I shot, I lost. I was as excited as a, you know, a 16-year-old can be. Bird got up, instinctively took the shot. Bird fell for a half hour to 45 minutes i'm crawling around on my hands and knees in a wheat field where is this bird where is this bird finally i realized it was lost yeah. and i went home that night and uh talked to my mom and dad and i said i'm never hunting again unless i get a dog period and they didn't know anymore my dad never hunted you know but they were supportive and uh, i saw a sign uh, just a few days later, in a local sporting goods store, said AKC Labrador Retrievers hunting and field trial stock. Well, I called that man. His name was Ken Riddle, and I uh, went and visited with him. Found out he had a nice little kennel of labs. Did some field trialing, avid hunter, and so I became hooked right then and there. And I started giving him a down payment of ten dollars, <laughs> ten dollars a month for nine months till I could pay off Buck. And Buck was the, a puppy when I bought him. I love it. Well, tell me about Daisy in the field. How does uh, how does a pointing lab look when they are actually uh, getting birdie and pointing? Well, the same way they look if they're they're getting birdie and not pointing. Okay. There's a lot of enthusiasm. You know, they you see there. It's usually a posture that you're recognizing. Yeah. And and a steadying. Of, I look at their ears. That always tells you, you know, there's, they're getting close, their ears and their attitude changes. Yeah. And you can tell the dog is working scent. You know, as bird hunters, we know there's a thing called a scent cone. And if they hit that, that, that you know, you can't train them to do that. That, that is their God-given instinct if they've been had this bred into them. And Daisy was. She came out of a very good pointing lab in Michigan. And, uh, and so it's just autopilot maybe not as stylish as a mm -hmm. you know as a setter with her but she's got a nice high tail and i've watched uh, i've been to the this uh this american pointing lab trials and there's some beautiful dogs and they're just you know things are just i hate to say a little more versatile but you know they're asked to retrieve ducks uh mm -hmm. you know uh, in a in a hunting environment and then there are the next hour they're asked to go over and point you know, chuck her out, and they get graded on how well they find the bird and point it. Um, you know, it's to each his own. You know, it seems like everyone kind of gravitates to the short-haired guys, gravitate to short-haired guys, and setter guys like setter guys, and lab guys, et cetera. But, you know, bottom line is we just love our dogs. It just doesn't matter what breed it is. We love our dogs. Yeah, and, and there is that loyalty, absolutely. I'm on my fifth German wire hair, for example, and, and, and I, go. I got no reason to switch, and it doesn't sound like you do either, and that's a good thing. What are you guys mostly hunting out there? Are you are you doing the grouse thing? Oh, sure, absolutely. We're, we are in uh, classic grouse and woodcock habitat. Yeah, yeah. Within, you, know, you don't want to publicize this, but yeah. within 10 <laughs> 
within 10, 15 minutes of field sport, you, you've got 100,000 acres of state state and federal lands that we can hunt. So we're very blessed. You know, you can go into the UP and you can hunt hundreds of thousands of state land. You know, anytime you're hunting public lands, though, you've got to become a good steward of knowing what type of habitat birds might be in, and you got to pay your dues. Uh, if if you're real lucky and you have somebody who's private land, you're even you know more blessed because you know the birds aren't hammered too hard on certain properties that uh, you know are owned by private individuals who develop habitat for grouse and woodcock. This far north, we don't have any wild pheasants. We do have some good shooting preserves, but it's grouse and woodcock and a pretty good duck flight. I hunt ducks with a friend of mine who has some property that they that they uh plant sweet corn on sweet oh yeah <laughs> and boy i'll tell you sweet corn in early october is uh, it's quite a magnet for ducks oh you know don't forget to take a few souvenir ears for the barbecue later that <laughs> night yeah well that's august we get the good corn in august oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's brian balinski with field sport limited and fieldsportlimited.com you spell limited ltd <laughs> I'm Scott Amen. Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. You know how to spell that. We'll be back with Brian for more. I want to talk about that one gun thing, and then I also want to talk about public land grouse tactics next. So uh, stick around, and uh, Brian, uh, you'll be back in just a moment. In the meanwhile, though, let's talk about HiVizSites.com. Probably couldn't get a better segue than that. H i v i z s i g h t s dot com. Highvizsites dot com. See what you've been missing. You know, everybody has their own philosophy about how our eyes and our head relate muzzle to target. I'm finding that um, subconsciously, at least, a sight on the end of my muzzle, on the end of my barrel, might be a help for some targets sometimes. HiVizSites.com has a wide selection of various types of light pipe technology, tritium, fiber optic, you name it, they've got it. Their only goal is to help you shoot better. Learn more at HiVizSites.com. Yeah, and I love my pointer shotguns. I'm going to put a high-vis sight on one of those and experiment as well. PointerShotguns.com is where you learn more about all of their models. They got them all, over and under, side-by-side, and semi-auto. I've been really enjoying the beautiful case coloring on one of the side-by-sides I just picked up from them. They got nickel-plated receivers, they've got traditional bluing, and they got all those Cerakote colors. Learn more about the variety and the variety of colors at PointerShotguns.com. Oh, after a big break talking about guns and shooting, let's talk guns and shooting with Brian Belinsky of FieldSportLimited.com and FieldSport limited in traverse city one of my favorite places unfortunately i was only there in the winter time how do you cope with that up there brian or do you leave for the bahamas <laughs> a perfect world you get the heck out of here in the winter our our winters are about one month too long yeah uh, but they're it's you know it is what it is uh, you know it well it's one of the reasons traverse city is the sign of new size of new york city uh, winters kind of keep the population in check, but winter is what you take, uh, what you do with it. We still shoot a lot of clays in the winter. A lot of our five stand uh, courses up here are heated. Almost you're shooting out of a, you know, almost like a trailer. Yeah. And so that, that's nice. Uh, other than that, you know, something like five stand, you can get out and shoot, be done in, you know, 20, 25 minutes, get back in the clubhouse and stay warm. Uh, not every winter is severe though. And that's the the deals with winter. But in a perfect world, if I could get out of here, you know, for a few weeks in the winter and take Daisy down south, uh, you know, that would always be an objective. Uh, I used to love we we were doing a shooting school down at Wild Wing Lodge, which unfortunately is no longer in business down in Kentucky. And that was great because you could go to 
Kentucky in March and still shoot, you know, and hunt uh, preserved quail. Yeah. Just like wild birds down there. It was so. a great, great place. Had a good time there many years ago myself. Yeah. So, um, you know, anybody who does schools or a clinician of one sort or another is always scheduling those trips for the middle of winter. Yeah. Now I know why. Um, yep. Yeah, you, you know, you talk to grouse hunting, and, and one of the biggest things that uh, most of us are looking for is we're looking for ways to enhance our success on public land. And grouse hunting public land is, is almost a, an, a science unto itself. When you're out there looking for good stuff, we understand the habitat part of it, what what they need in the way of food and cover and that sort of thing. But are there any other things that you've learned? For example, I was at a place I can't reveal even to this day <laughs> <laughs> where um, in the wintertime, they've, they've cut, cut basically paths for snowmobilers. And they make great grouse hunting routes as well. Mm-hmm. Are there any other things, practical applications to, you know, stuff like that? Well, you know, it's nice if you can walk down a snowmobile trail and let your dog work either side. Usually they're in, in very good aspen habitat. Yeah. I, I'm always a little hesitant to hunt near any place where there's motorized vehicles such yeah. as motorcycles. You know, you better keep an ear out because they're not looking for a dog running through the woods either. So it's, 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 you have to be cautious if yeah. you're hunting around trails like that. But, you know, when I see the, the, the guys come in the store and they want tips, the, the best tip I can give them is called time of day. Okay. You know, you just don't hunt all day. And the way you study birds is I, I've got a bird feeder out in, in front of my living room. It's it's almost you can set your clock by when the birds come in and feed, you know, your, your watch. And the, when they leave, it's such a predictable time. Well, that's the same thing you should hunt grouse by. When they're the most active, when they're on the ground, they're out in search of food, you're more likely to find them. Then when they're perched up in a pine tree in the middle of the afternoon, they could care less that you're walking around looking for them. They're not going to flush out of a tree because they're not, they're not threatened. Yeah. So time of day, uh, I still have found, I wish I could adhere to it all the time, uh, but I found the last hour or two of the day is the best. Yeah, and, and most times uh, slightly cooler if you're worried about that sort of thing. Yeah, we have pretty, you know, by the time we get into October in northern Michigan, it's pretty easy to stay. You're going to hunt every day. Yeah. The weather will permit. But middle of the day, yeah, it can get awfully hot at times, and you just have to be extremely cautious and not run your dogs when it's hot. Uh, Out here in the west, um, you know, most of our western birds will – will have water requirements of one sort or another. I'm not saying they always go to – to what we we call free water, you know, the stuff you can see. Uh, sometimes they're eating it. But my grouse hunting in large part, and I don't care where I've been, I've been the upper Midwest, I've been to the Rockies, I've been to the Cascades and everywhere in between. I seem to find birds in uh, drainages, watersheds. I don't know that it's for the water, though. I think it's for the cover and the food. Have you seen a grouse take a drink? Personally, no. Never seen one take a drink. But I agree. Whether it's habitat, whether it's alder bottoms, whether those are in wetlands Mm -hmm. of some sort, it might be that this cover is thicker. Uh, But water always seems to be a magnet. And I know a lot of gents. River bottoms and creek bottoms. And that's, you know, that's, it's tough hunting. I did it as a younger guy and you better be able to slog through because it's not something you're not going on a, through on a stroll on a two track yeah. and letting your dog work. So, you know, you're right. I don't think grouse need, they can get their moisture from everything they eat as well as, you know, water that's on, uh, on leaves and things. Yeah. But, woodcock too can everything you know you think well how could i move a bird here well they they move from one type of habitat to the next and it depends on the time of the season too yeah yeah 
And, and, and speaking of Woodcock, what, 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 would they, what would the biggest move be from one part of the season to the other? Well, from they're going to oftentimes they're high at certain times of the season, mm-hmm. and then they're low, and low takes them to more water. It depends how much moisture you get. I mean, you have to be a biologist and a and a predictor of weather too, and kind of mm-hmm. say, well, how much rain have we got, and where will the birds be? Yeah. And it's all it's not that it's a crapshoot, but you know, you just you just say, I'm taking my best guess, and that's the type of habitat I'm going to hunt. Sometimes you just say, I'm going hunting. It, you know, yeah. I'll do, you know, I, most of us have coverts that we return to because they hold birds and year in and year out until they get too mature. And that's the, that's the hardest part. When I moved to Traverse City area, the, the coverts I hunted back then are now, they're ancient forests. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a tough pill to swallow when you see that you know, those, those great spots, but they're doing a lot of cutting and the best, uh, you know, the best friend a grouse ever had was a chainsaw. Uh, you know, if you don't cut that and start regenerative habitat, you're not going to have birds. Absolutely. Hey, let's, uh, speaking of grouse hunting and that sort of thing, let's, let's, let's go to school on what you think is the hardest grouse shot. If you're out in the field and Daisy slams a point, um, What's the worst thing that a grouse can do when you walk in to flush that bird? Boy, one of the worst things you can do is see him on the ground. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Yeah, okay, yeah. It, yeah, oftentimes that puts you, you know, all of a sudden your your mind is not right. If you see the bird on, you want to, you know, in some respects be a little surprised, but you want to hit you into the ready position if you anticipate uh-oh, we got a bird somewhere close by. You know, there's no such thing as an easy grouse shot. They're yeah. really, every, you know, how many guys have taken a bang, bang, uh, a bird going straight away from them and a clean miss, clean miss. You know, uh, everybody. I'm holding my hand up when you ask it, that. Okay, yeah. Well, and that's muscle memory shot, but we take it, you know, almost sudden it looks too easy, so we don't finish our gun mount. We don't bear down. We don't really bring that bird, that gun firm up to our anchor point, and we got a high head. And 80% of the misses that I've seen in the last 40 years of coaching have been because of bad or incomplete gun mounts. Yeah, so there, we, we're back to the perfect practice. Correct. Back to that, what you're trying to achieve. And so every shot you take on a clay's course that looks like, and I've 100% support you. Why shoot at a Batu or a Shondell or some crazy target in transition that really isn't going to replicate anything you're going to see in the field? Yeah. When you, when you go to a clays course, we have a lot of nice courses up here that are very woodcock, grouse-oriented, our Cedar Rod and Gun Club, Benzie Sportsman's Club, uh, Emmett County. You'll see a lot of very bird-hunting-oriented type shots. Spend twice as much time shooting those targets and walk away from a Shondell at 50 yards that you got to shoot at, you know, at four o'clock. It's just, yeah. That's just, a, that's a, and that's the, sadly, the game of sporting clays has evolved away from, and I'm not bragging, you know, but the game I brought to the country in the, in the early eighties, every shot back then was meant to replicate and duplicate a field type hunting shot. Well, it was called hunters clays in England for a reason. Yeah, well, actually, that was a that was the debate that Bob Brister and I had. Really? When we were, oh yeah, we were on the board. Um, uh, we were on the board for the first Orvis Cup Classic Sporting Clays course or Sporting Clays event that we hosted as a Green Wing Ducks Unlimited Green Wing fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Bob and I went back and forth, and I was building the Orvis shooting grounds at the time, and I had seen the game of Sporting Clays. He liked the words hunter's clays, and and I liked the words sporting clays. Well, I won out. That's what we we called the first national sporting clays championship. But there's a real tight connection to shooting gun down and hunter's clays. And that's where I say, you know, if a guy thinks he's coming to something that I'm promoting and wants to shoot gun up, it's, it's, I'm okay with it, but I, it's not going to change your muscle memory. Yeah. You're not work, You're not implementing the athleticism that it takes to move mountain shoot. 
So, in fact, we just held a Cedar Rod and Gun Club side-by-side event called the Field Sport 100. Mandatory, you had to shoot gun down. You had to call for your target in a ready position. And the guys loved it. And, you know, and it, it, it is what Hunter's Clays is meant to be. Love it. Let's go yeah. back. Let's go back to my grouse hunt. Okay, I've I've got a uh, taxidermied alder branch on the wall here because usually that's what I'm killing. <laughs> <clears throat> but but if I want to quit shooting tree trunks and shoot birds instead, that is the headache. And I've joked about it before. You know, if those guys who invented skeet shooting had gotten it really right, they would have put a whole bunch of telephone poles on the course. So you would have to shoot through them or around them or something. Can can you take me to school on how to make more shots that are so crowded with tree trunks? What do I do? You can't can't shoot out yourself to, you know, shoot enough to get to the point where you see the bird. You have to realize that grouse hunting grouse shooting is a very, very low percentage game. When I finally was keeping good numbers, I would think that out of all, every 10 grouse I, I saw flushed, I maybe got one good shot. Yeah. The, yeah. the other nine were, you know, just quick. It's, you know, it depends which way they go, whether they wild flushed, you know, these classic painting type shots, uh, birds are held solid. That doesn't happen very much anymore. Uh, our grouse, the ones that have survived year after year, they do one thing and they do it real well. They run. Yeah, they've learned from the pheasants. That's right. And only the runners are the survivors. Any bird that's in flight, even as Gordy Gullion said in his book, Grouse on North Shore, it's a threatened bird within it's in flight. Yeah. And we, you know, and God forbid everyone and nobody would ground swat a grouse, but every bird in flight, you know, is a potential that we'll get a shot and we'll kill a har- and harvest a beautiful bird. So, you know, there's no, no easy shots. If you see the bird, boy, count your blessings, you know, and then it's all about focus at that point, you know, move, mount, shoot, focus. You can't, you know, and it's hard to coach this, but you can't teach people by shooting through trees or bush brush in a clays course yeah no you know because if they if that was the course set up that way you know say okay we're gonna throw these bird clay targets behind a, an aspen clear cut you know eventually everything's gonna get denuded because they're gonna <laughs> you know so, we'd be doing the logging for them <laughs> right it's not gonna but if you get a chip one good shot out of ten you know, maybe even two. You count your blessings. You may have harvested a couple birds. Uh, okay. And, and all as well. I feel better now. I, I know one of the best pieces of advice I got years ago on a uh, at the R, RGS National Hunt was uh, you can't you can't deal with the trees you're going to shoot through, but you can stand in a place where you can at least swing the gun without crashing into a couple trees. Yeah, yeah. You could pick your openings if. You know, if you think that you're heading in onto a potential shot, you know, looking to where you're going to walk next as you get a little closer to the dog, the more give yourself a little better opportunity. This is where barrel length. Everybody's saying, "Oh my God, I need a short barrel to swing quickly in, in the grouse coverts." Mm. And I'll always ask the rhetorical question: I say, "Is if you get hung up?" And you can't make a shot because you're you're you know you're you're hitting tree limbs. Is it the last inch or two of the barrel that <laughs> causes that? Yeah, absolutely true. I get it. All right, yeah. so I'm walking in. I'm I got a dog on point. My wire hair is on point, and 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 when he's on point, the first thing I want to do is get in in front of him really fast because I don't know how long he'll hold. So I'm going to walk up. Uh, I think I have a well, I have a an, an okay idea of where that bird is. First thing I'm going to do is not look at that place, right? Try not, yeah. It's just like it's just like your focal point on clay targets. Yeah. You don't look at the you don't look at the machine. Yeah. Look away. So you want to kind of look out where the bird could potentially first appear, because you know there's a the bird launching off the ground has got your eyes focused in the wrong place. And we can't wanna, catch up. No, exactly. Yeah. Now, now the bird has won, but yeah. if you let your your gaze come a 
above that area and just soft eyes looking yeah. out for the bird that now the movement will be true once you what you see you can get on the line move mount shoot high percentage of the time you're going to kill that bird so here's the next part this is the nexus everybody talks about all oh, foot position ready position all this you're walking in on the b- bird you uh, theoretically you're going to push the bird into the air at some point you need to stop the bird flies your feet may be in mid-step how do we mm-hmm. get to that next point this has always bothered me how do we get from walking in on the bird to a good foot position so we can actually execute the shot in the right way move mount and shoot mm-hmm. well there's two sides to that question foot movement toward a bird is actually a good thing okay we we teach that in our upland school we set you up wrong <laughs> and make you move make you move your leading foot after a clay target in flight all right that's so you're not at that perfect uh, break point hold point focal point position yeah and that and that's something an upland bird hunter should practice is foot movement is not bad you don't have to think well if my feet are not stable because you can always move your left foot i'm right hand it's my left foot in the direction the bird's going and what that ultimately does is help square up my shoulder yeah. to the break point to the, the kill zone of that particular bird uh, another easy not easy but it's a something you can practice is drag your back foot land left and and kind of pull your back foot up so you're not moving up and down you're kind of going lateral with your with your foot positioning so you as you as you move your left foot forward you drag your right left foot forward drag just a gentle drag so you're not totally off the ground when uh-huh. the bird falls. you've got good you you got a good feel that you're on the on the earth when the bird flushes fascinating yeah, i love drag that idea back, dragging the back foot i've seen my buddy dale tate uh, we let him kind of teach that, and it's a real nice little ingredient. You know, left foot lands, okay, bird hasn't flushed. Another step, bring that back foot up in a dragging motion. The right, for me, it'd be my right foot. Well, that's gentle. That'll be my excuse to go say hello to Dale the next time I'm down in Central California because he's done work on a, a gun of mine on behalf of a buddy to whom I gave that gun. And, no. and he can't say enough good about Dale. Dale, is a, he's a fine man. Uh, he's been teaching with me ever since Michael McIntosh passed away. And, you know, we, we've we been told we sound like two peas in a pod. Uh, I love it. We're coaching. But we both have a different way of teaching, you know. Yeah. And yeah. That's the beauty of I. what's one of the elements I, I like about our schools that I don't know if I'll connect with everybody and what I say and what I – I'm trying to help, but you know, you, you feed off of each other to help that person become better. And maybe they hear Dale say something a little bit differently than Brian said it. Yep. And it read and ding, bing, bing, bing. Now they've got a, you know, I call them little golden nuggets. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure there are a lot of them in your book. That is uh, Brian Belinsky, uh, the author of the brand new book. Yeah. Wing shooting, the art and science. There you and have it. it. And available yeah. uh, right now, you call Field Sport or soon to be at fieldsportpress.com. Would that be where we go? Yeah, well, if you can edit this out, what you said is that if this is going to come out in late July, by then Field Sport Press will be online. Great. Great. Excellent. Yeah. So we'll watch for that. And in the meanwhile, one more shooting related question. When you're at, whether it's you or it's Dale or it's you together working on some guy who, um, just he's like the quintessential student he does what wrong what is the biggest mistake we make when we're shooting the biggest mistake well i think sometimes the biggest mistake is people are too full of themselves (laughs) (laughs) i I like to work with someone who's like a sponge yeah and, and is appreciative of and stays with, you know, stays with the program. It, it's not that I've had, sometimes you get people that, that, that think they're, you know, they're going to tell you what they know about shooting. And then, the, and it's like, well, then why are you here? If we can help you, we will. But, you know, 
the the our normal students very appreciative they come wanting to learn they realize they've got limitations what you know what i i always kind of go back to is we don't know what we look like when we shoot yeah that's where a coach comes in yeah you know i i'll say i've got a a three-person lesson tomorrow and and i what i'll say to them is i'm going to put you in the box and i'm going to watch your every move so that i can send you home with a way an awareness of what you need to do to become a better wing shot more consistent whether it's your stance do you understand how to use that whether it's your posture do you get your weight forward do you start your gun in a ready position do you recognize the value of break point hold point focal point if if a average wing shooter steps up there and they don't shoot play targets like real competent, you know, professional level shooters shoot, they're always going to be left wanting. And so I, in my video, I really pound that element home. I say, what does break point, hold point, focal point really have to do with grouse hunting? We can't tell a grouse to flush where we want it, when we want it to flush and where it's going to go when we want it to go and give us the window we want to shoot into. By practicing with a break point, hold point, focal point program, it's all about the two magic words muscle memory yeah Yeah. that's the key so you know so consequently you give them all the ingredients so that i see i can't make you a world-class wing shot in a couple days at a field sport wing shooting school (coughs) excuse me but i can sure make you aware of what you need to do so you can go home and practice properly and then as you said and it's you anchored it right it perfect practice makes permanent that's when then you're going to get the benefit out of it well, we've talked this whole time, and we haven't really talked about one of the other aspects of Field Sport Limited, and that is you are a fine gun dealer. Um, I'm betting some of those guns are uh, new, and some of them are lovingly used. Mm-hmm. Most yep. of us, when we get into the fine gun game, are, are probably saving our cans and bottles for a long time to buy their first entry-level fine gun, and it'll probably be previously owned. If, if you're looking to buy a used gun from somebody or we're looking to buy a used gun from somebody, what are the key things we should probably run away from really fast if we see them? Ooh, that's an easy one. Uh, any kind of problems with the barrels, turn and go 180 degrees opposite direction. Dented barrels, pitted barrels. Barrels are expensive to repair and if you do repair sometimes you make the gun more dangerous to shoot as wall thicknesses you know if you have to hone out oh yeah uh, pitted barrels so yeah any gun that's been abused or neglected i mean i appraised a easily a 20 to thirty thousand dollar parker that must have been in a kitchen uh, uh, a chicken coop oh no it, Oh, the barrels were the worst I've ever seen. And I had to make them aware of that when I wrote, I said, if these barrels, and they were beyond repair, it was so sad, but that gun was just neglected. And it, you know, the heirs to that gun would have had a 20 to $30,000 Parker and it wasn't worth much, <laughs> much more than parts because of the condition it was in, you know, hopefully and God willing, a reputable gun dealer will educate you as to what you are buying, you know, Stock dimensions should be registered on every gun. I, I get a lot of compliments, more than I can even even say, about the information that's on a field sport gun tag. Drop it comb, drop it face, drop it heel, cast it comb, cast it face, cast it heel, length of pull pitch, uh, choke constrictions down to the thousands, wall thicknesses, on especially on English guns. Everybody wants to know wall thicknesses. Uh, check the trigger pulls. You, you can't you have to be caveat on patar when you buy a used gun so hopefully you've got a reputable gun dealer who won't be trying to sell something that's just a bucket of bolts that you'll be disappointed with you know as i, I said something earlier beware the man or woman who shoots one gun i'm not that guy yeah but yeah but the piece to the puzzle there that the next quite the next phrase is but beware the man who shoots a well-fitted gun Okay, man or woman, and that's where. And I, I spent. I don't even want to tell you how much money I spent in my lifetime on guns that fit me because I'm not Mr. Average. 
I shoot a very high comb, somewhere one and a quarter, one and three sixteenths at face, foot, you know, quarter inch cast off. Guns like that uh, it's, are very rare to find on the secondary market. Sure. So most most of my guns that I, you know, that I've had fitted to me, I've had custom made for me, and I've been very, very blessed. Or they were close enough that they could be bent, and that's where the if you know your ideal dimensions, you want to get a gun that's technically about a quarter within a quarter of an inch of your ideal dimension at drop it face and cast it face because then most stock benders could hit that because then that's a half inch at the heel it's a lot to move a stock if it's less less uh, or more as close as possible between a quarter of an inch three sixteenths and eighth a much easier shot that a stock bender can reach your ideal dimensions and that's what you have to know going in. How close is that gun to fitting me if I got professional help to make it fit? And there you have it. Uh, speaking of which, that's <laughs> what you should expect from your gun dealer if you're going to somebody other than Brian Belinsky at Field Sport <laughs> Limited in Traverse City, Michigan, by the way. Brian, uh, man, we could keep going on and on and on. We'll have to do this in a grouse cover sometime instead because then, then – then we'll have something to apply all of our theoretical well, what, knowledge to. <laughs> well, what are you What are you waiting for? We got October is on the horizon. Oh, on. listen! Uh, soon enough, everybody will know what I'm doing in October and November, and it'll be fun. That's for sure. Brian, we'll we'll talk again. This is fantastic stuff. I appreciate your being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and best wishes and good shooting to all those out there. Keep a smile on your face, but most important thing, be safe. Don't ever point your gun at anything you don't intend to destroy. And we've still got more. I'm going to talk about a couple road trips I've done to Wyoming and, and where you might want to go as well if you're heading in that general direction for Huns and Chuckers. Yeah. Uh, among other things. So don't go away. We're brought to you by SageandBreaker.com. New bore cleaning solvent. Yeah. If you've got a stubborn, stubborn barrel or two yeah shotguns uh that might be just what you need to get that thing all cleaned up and ready for the season bore cleaning solvent at sageandbreaker.com and breaker is b-r-a-k-e-r yeah those are dog names fred's a pretty clever guy the range bag is back in stock sign up for the mailing list so you don't miss out on future sales and more new products coming down the pipeline at sageandbreaker.com. And True Lock Chokes is your choke tube resource. There is so much information on their website, uh, whether it's uh, browsing the gun maker brands for shotgun chokes that you can use. They got over 2,000. If you're looking for sub-gauge, choke tubes they've got a whole bunch of those if you're looking to uh you know tell how many notches mean what kind of a choke that is they've got identification codes for that and their faq page is a tutorial on choke tubes from start to finish they've always got a sale or two going on as well so check out truelockchokes.com and you spell truelock t-r-u-l-o-c-k truelock chokes.com yeah it wasn't the original reason to go make a episode of wing shooting usa but it became the prevalent reason once we got there and that is hungarian partridge we we're actually looking to do a chucker hunt and we did and in fact what was interesting uh this all happens near torrington wyoming and i'll give you more on that what happens is you'll be in chucker country and you'll find huns you're in hun country and you'll find chuckers we never knew what was going to show up especially if we were near wheat stubble for example um, wyoming is the wild west and what that means is there's plenty of publicly owned land and they do have a growing walk-in program and those are both attractions for wild bird hunters and wild birds like i said we chased chuckers and huns near torrington and from torrington which is kind of southeast you make an arc uh, north and west and you'll find a whole bunch of public ground 
get their hunting atlas online, take a look at it, think about the territory that you might want to hunt, whether it's chuckers or huns, they've got a lot of it. Go on to your online mapping program and get started near Torrington, Wyoming. And that road trip feature is brought to you by Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. They are all hunters over there, so when you take a lesson from midvalleyclays.com, they know what you're talking about. Many of the things we talked about today, they can do that right there in person. If you are in West Central Oregon or passing through, schedule a lesson. And while you're there, take a look at their inventory of Browning shotguns. They've always got 40 or more in their rental fleet. Try, rental fleet. try before you buy. And uh, especially if you're looking for subcages, they've got them at midvalleyclays.com. Well, thanks, Brian Belinsky. You are a wealth of information. I can't wait to go hunting with you someday. In the meanwhile, if you want to learn more about Brian, his teaching, his schools, his inventory, and his new book, uh, it's all at fieldsportltd.com. Fieldsportltd.com. The book itself is now available at fieldsportpress.com. Brian Belinsky, thanks so much. Thank all of you who comment at the social platforms, always learning from you, and hopefully you're learning from each other. If you left a rating or a review, and I do appreciate that, please do. Thank you. And thanks to our sponsors who make all of this possible. Trulock Chokes, MidValleyClays.com, Purina, ProPlan Sport, PointerShotguns.com, SageAndBreaker.com. They're all the folks who make all of this available to all of you. In the meanwhile, I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast. <laughs>